You know, at the Good Friday service, for those of you that were here, Pastor Darrell was talking about how Good Friday had to happen. It had to take place. And he said, if it didn't happen, it didn't take place, today would mean nothing. Well, like so many things, that was true. But if today didn't take place, Friday meant nothing. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, it didn't matter. He would have been just another good man who was killed. And as we saw in that video, there is so much attached to the resurrection and the benefits of the resurrection for us that most of us really don't comprehend at all. We grab a hold of a little bit of it, and a little bit of it's really good, but there is so much more that we can be free from sickness. By His stripes we are healed. We can be set free and forgiven of all the sin because His blood was shed and He took on His body our sin. We can be set free of addiction. We can break those strongholds in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us. We can be set free. We can be in a place where we feel accepted. We don't feel worthless. We don't feel ashamed. We don't feel like we don't belong and are unloved. We feel forgiven. We can know that we are forgiven because of the resurrection. We can know that, thank God for this one, we get a second chance. Man, most of us, most of us, and I don't want to put you in the same category as me necessarily, but most of us screwed it up the first time around pretty bad. We live lives that did not bring glory to anybody. But we get a second chance. We're born again by the Spirit of God. All sins forgiven when we accept Jesus Christ. We have a purpose we live in a world today where so many people walk around wondering, why am I here? What is my purpose? I'm so unimportant. The reality is, because he rose, we have a purpose. We have a destiny. It's been established. Just as, as I shared, God already has a purpose for Riker. And he's only a few weeks old. But it's already laid out. He has a purpose for you and me, no matter where you're at, no matter how much we might have messed it up, no matter how much we think we've disqualified ourselves, those are lies from the enemy to keep you from fulfilling the destiny that God has for you. And it doesn't matter where he's placed you. God has a plan and purpose for each one of us where you're planted. Whatever your vocation is, whatever your job is, whatever family you're a part of, whatever community you live in, you have a purpose. You're not just there to take up space. Boy, so often we feel like that's about all we can do. We can have hope. Hope. The world is looking for hope. They're looking in mostly the wrong places. But because of the resurrection, we can have hope. We can have a sense of peace in a world that's going out of control and spinning more out of control every day. We can have peace. Not that we're naive, not that we don't see this, what's going on around us, but we can have peace because there's a peace of Christ, peace of God that lives and dwells in us. Reality, the last thing it said in the video is, we can have a life. God, get a life. We got one if we take this one that Jesus Christ offers us. We can have a life. So this morning, I'm going to focus strictly on the resurrection. And I'm not usually good at point one, two, three, four, five, but I think I'm going to try to stay on them because I got ten of them. And if I don't stay on them, we're going to be here right through my ham dinner. And that ain't going to happen. So I'm going to give us ten reasons for the resurrection that gives meaning to every single one of us. 
Every one of us that know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and believe it or not, if you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the resurrection is going to have some meaning for you too. It's not near as good as it is for those that know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you're going to see it, and I'm going to use Scripture in every single one of these ten points. And I gave a little outline. I don't do that very often either. There's a little outline in your bulletins if you want to use it to keep the points and to see some scriptures. But point number one is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that we are justified before God. Justified before God. Some people say, just as if we never sinned. That's a great way to define it. Justified, if that helps you remember. But it means to be put right with something. And what we're put right with is God, the Father, through what Jesus did. In Isaiah 59.2, it says, But your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He won't hear you. Now, this is kind of a sad thing because I believe there are a lot of people out there that might think they're saved for all the wrong reasons, and the reality is they're not. I hope that doesn't sound too judgmental. But there's a lot of people that think they are. They're deceived and think they're saved because they prayed a little prayer once. Or they're good people. The reality is we are all sinners and we are all separated from God because of sin. And just think of this. If I'm not really saved and I'm deceived into thinking I am, I am in a very dangerous place. One thing is God doesn't even hear our prayers of the unbeliever. There's only one way to get saved, and that's to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, accept the salvation that He offers us because of what He did on the cross and because He was raised from the dead. That's it. In Romans 4.25, it said, He was delivered over to death for our sins. And then listen to that last part. He was raised to life for our justification. For our justification. So that when God looks at me and He looks at you, if you're a child of God, He doesn't see Mike with all his garbage. He doesn't see me with all my past sins. What He sees me through is the righteousness of Christ. And because of that, I'm justified. Scripture actually refers to us as objects of God's wrath before we're saved. Because the Bible tells us clearly the penalty for sin is death. That's God's wrath. But when Jesus died on that cross and He was raised from the dead and we accept the gift of salvation, that wrath is removed from His children. It's gone. God poured out all of His punishment on Jesus on that cross cross that Jesus went to willingly for us. And the resurrection is like confirmation. You know, if you, you make a purchase, it's really nice to get a receipt in case somebody questions whether it's yours or whether you paid enough money for it. Jesus' resurrection was like God the Father's confirmation that the sacrifice was sufficient. It's like the exclamation point on God's plan to restore us to relationship with Himself, the Father. It removes all that separated us from Him. So now we're acceptable in His sight. Are you acceptable in His sight? If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are acceptable in His sight. Don't believe what anybody else says. Don't believe what that lying voice in your head tries to tell you. 
You're acceptable in His sight once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Number two, the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows that Jesus defeated death. Now this probably is not going to be great revelation to many of us here, but there's a 100% mortality rate for human beings unless Jesus comes back soon. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. It doesn't matter how marvelous medicine is. It doesn't matter of any of that. We're eventually all going to die. And some people are horrified of death. And I was thinking of this this morning, even though I was praying before I came in here. It was like, why are we so afraid of death? And the answer I can come up with is, it's so unknown to non-believers. If you ask a non-believer, why are you afraid of dying? Oh, I don't want to die. No, I know you don't want to die. None of us want to die, right? We all want to get to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And that's okay. But the reality is we're all going to. And what are they so afraid of? Well, the unknown's bad enough. But what there is to be a fear of death is for the non-believer, it brings torment and condemnation. It brings eternity in hell. That's what we should fear. But most of the people who fear death don't even think of that. But there is a fear. And we have seen the power of death broken because of Jesus. We knew from Romans 6.23 where it says the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. We all deserve to die. Jesus died in our place. Death couldn't hold him. When that, that stone was rolled away, that wasn't so he could get out. That was so everybody knew he was gone. When he was raised from the dead, he defeated sin and he defeated death. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The power of death and sin was broken by Jesus because He was raised from the dead. The resurrection power. And for that reason, believers don't have to fear death. Number three, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that we are all united. Believers are united with Christ. Believers are united with Christ. In Romans 6, I'm going to read about four verses here. In Romans 6, 4 through 8, it says this We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with Him. By faith, when we accept Jesus Christ, we are by faith in union with Him. We identify with His death. We identify with His resurrection. The Holy Spirit is given and dwells in each one of us. We are in union with Christ and allows us to walk in that newness of life that's talked about in 1 Corinthians 
in the scripture I just read in Romans, it said that we may have a new life. And in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, it says, it's because of Him that you and I are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. And then it says this, wisdom from God. And he says, that is, and it's like it defines wisdom in a way you and I probably want. It is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. It's because of the resurrection we can be assured of our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Righteousness, holiness. How in the world can you and I be considered righteous and holy? I've sinned this morning, I'm sure. And I'm going to sin probably this afternoon, I'm pretty sure. And if I get through today, I know I will by tomorrow. That would mean I'm not righteous. That would mean I'm not holy. That would mean that I have not been redeemed because God cannot look on sin. And that's why that union with Christ is so important. As I said earlier, we put on a cloak of righteousness called Jesus Christ. The moment we accept Christ, it's like just as if we've never sinned, justified. It's now, it's, it's like if, if you would look at me and all you could see is Jesus. God, that'd be sweet. Amen. <laughs> Sadly, that's not what you see. The good news is that's what God the Father sees. He looks at Mike and he sees Jesus because he sees his righteousness. He sees his holiness. And that's what he sees when he looks at you if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He doesn't see all the garbage from your past. It's gone. When he forgives it, it's as if it's never happened. He's never going to judge you or me for that as a believer. Never. Never. The righteousness of Christ. Number four. The resurrection of Jesus Christ confirms the truth of Scripture. And you know, there's way more than ten, by the way. You could probably come up with a hundred. I just chose ten. Stole some of them from another preacher's sermon. Figure it wasn't his in the first place. It came from the Bible. (laughs) Confirms Scripture. There are so many prophetic things in the Old Testament that predicted what was going to happen when the Messiah came. Man, it was, it was predicted in the Old Testament he was going to be born. That had to happen. He had to be born of a virgin. That had to happen. He had to be crucified. That had to happen. And he had to be raised from the dead. That had to happen. And it was prophesied in Isaiah. It was prophesied in the Psalms. It confirms that the Scriptures are true and we can trust them. The resurrection is another unbelievable evidence that the Scriptures are trustworthy. In Psalm 16, just to share one with you, it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not abandon my soul to the grave. And then he goes on and says, You're not going to let your Holy One see corruption. In other words, your body's not going to decay because you're not going to stay in the grave. It says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy, and at the right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's predicting what's exactly going to happen, that he's going to die, the grave's not going to hold him, he's going to be raised from the dead, and he's going to ascend to the Father and be sighted at the right hand of God for all eternity, praying for me and you too. That's so good. Isn't it nice to know that Jesus, who cannot pray an imperfect prayer, is praying for you, praying for me. And God's going to answer his prayers. Because he always prays in the will of the Father. 
And that's what one of the things we have going for us. And the resurrection is proof and evidence that the Scripture is true. Number five, the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves the gospel to be true. And before you think, gee, you just said that. The Scripture is way more than just the gospel. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came of a virgin. He led a sinless life. He was crucified. He, took on, he became the curse and He took all of our sin on Himself. As a matter of fact, it says He became sin on our behalf. He became sin and He died in our place. The Gospel message. You might want to write this down sometime. If you ever want to share the Gospel real easily with somebody, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-4. through 4. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he reminds them, he says, Now brothers, I want to remind you of the Gospel that I preached to you. And in that case, he was reminding the church because they were trying to mess with the gospel. They were trying to make it more complicated. They were making it harder to get saved. You know, you've got to do the Jewish stuff. You know, we don't have to do the non-denominational church stuff. We don't have to do the Methodist stuff, the Catholic stuff, the Lutheran stuff. None of that will necessarily get you saved unless that stuff is except Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And they were adding to it. Just like man has been doing forever because it's just too easy to get saved to the human mind, you mean all i got to do is receive the gift? That's too easy. If you only knew what I did, what I've done, that's too easy. God doesn't care what you've did. He doesn't care what you've done. He's saying, here's the gift. Receive it. And yet, so many won't. For whatever reason. And Paul is telling them, it says this, And if Christ had not been raised, then my preaching has been in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ, we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If the resurrection didn't occur, he's saying, Paul himself is saying, your life is to be pitied because you are believing a lie. And the truth of the gospel is that Jesus died that you and I might live. He died that we might have eternal life. And he died that we might have life here on earth that would bring glory and honor to him. That's what the video was about. That's why I showed it. You can be set free of all that garbage. You can be set free and and not have to live with all the fears, all the doubts, all the condemnation, all the shame, all the embarrassment, all of the oppression, all of that stuff. Jesus died for it all. If we believe what the scripture says, by his stripes we were healed and by the, the blood of Jesus our sins have been forgiven. We don't have to carry that stuff around for the rest of our life. The gospel, according to Paul, is it's the glue that holds everything together. It's just not a neat part of Scripture. It's everything. Number six, the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that Jesus is the Son of God. In Romans 1 verse 4, it says this, and who through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God, how? By His resurrection from the dead. He was proven to be the Son of God. All of prophecy had said that this Messiah would be raised from the dead. And it's proof, it's evidence. Like I said at the beginning, if He had died and just remained dead, it would have done none of us any good whatsoever. None of us. It proves that Christ was someone unique. 
He was the Son of God. Number seven, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means the Holy Spirit will be poured out into the hearts of those who believe. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that the Holy Spirit will be poured out into our hearts when we believe. The Bible talks about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. At the moment of your salvation, the moment that you truly repent of your sins and you truly accept Jesus Christ's death as a substitute for your death and you receive that gift of salvation, at that instant, your sin is dealt with and the Holy Spirit moves in. And that's a really big deal. The Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead and it lives in me. It lives in you. We have God, the Holy Spirit, living and dwelling in us because he was raised from the dead. In Acts 2, verse 33, it says this, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and have received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured that out on those that you are seeing and hearing. Before Jesus, after his resurrection and before his ascension, he had told the disciples many different ways that they didn't always understand that it's going to be better for you that I leave. It's going to be better for you that I, I'm crucified. Because when I die, when I go to heaven, and I come raised to the dead and I ascend to the Father, I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to ask Him to give me the Holy Spirit that I might give it to you, to dwell in you. An amazing truth, all made possible because of the, res- the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, and there's a little bit of responsibility. You know, there's a lot of bit of responsibility for each one of us. Because when Jesus ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us that we would carry out his work. We would continue his work on earth. Jesus is still working. He's still ministering in heaven, but as a ministry of intercession and prayer, he's praying for you and me. And he says, I'm going to give you the church, my children, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to go out and minister like I've been ministering. And it's going to be so much more powerful because you're going to have the same Holy Spirit that empowered Christ and there's going to be way more of us to go out and spread this to the ends of the earth. We have a job to do because He died and rose again from the dead and He gave us the Holy Spirit. Number eight, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us a living hope. This is so important in these days. People are without hope. And they're looking for something to give them hope. They're looking for something they can latch on to that they can trust and have confidence in. You know, we try to latch on to anything and everything. You know, a great job, my own gifts, my own abilities, more material things, a spouse, whatever it is. And, and if we just get something there, everything's going to be good. So my hope is in that, that I'll feel better when I have it or... If I, if I grow it, it's all a lie. Our hope is in Christ. The resurrected Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And to an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. I don't know if you've heard all that or if it's all up there, but read that. Think about that for a second. 
You've been born again to a, to a living hope. And he has got this inheritance that is imperishable. Imperishable. And it has to be because we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're joint heirs with Christ. Christ's inheritance is not going to perish. It's never going to be defiled. And it's there for us. And we'll experience the fullness of it in heaven when we get there. Number nine, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that you'll be raised just like He was raised. I don't know if you're familiar with the first fruits concept that's throughout Scripture. But the first fruit was kind of like evidence, proof. And here we have this proof through the resurrection that we will be raised like He was raised. Jesus is called the first fruits of the resurrection. Because He was raised, we can have trust and faith and confidence that we too will one day be raised just like He was. You know, in the Old Testament, they had a first fruits religious festival, religious holiday, if you would, one of their, their big, big holidays. And basically what it was, they would go out when the, when the first kernels of the crop, when the first kernels of grain were, were being produced, they would go out and they would take that first fruit and they would do what they called a wave offering and they would wave that first fruits before the Lord. And basically what they were doing was saying, thank you, God, for what we have here, but what we know is coming because the first fruits are here. And that would be like a farmer going out there and, and getting that first kernels of, of oats when the, the seed is finally in there and the rest of the field's not quite caught up yet. But we're going to go give thanks because we have the first fruits as proof that the crop is coming. And that's what they had. And that's what Jesus is for us. Because he was raised from the dead as the first fruit, we can be confident that we also will be raised from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 21, 22, it says this, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, each in his own turn. Christ as the firstfruits, and when he comes, all those who belong to him will be raised from the dead. What a hoot that's going to be. Just think, it says Jesus, when he was crucified, the tombs opened and there was like 500 people raised from the dead and came walking out of the tombs. Can you imagine the shock? Can you imagine when there's millions of Christians raised from the dead? Wow. Like I said, I can hardly wait, but I don't want to die. Not yet. And number 10, the resurrection of Christ means that Christ will judge the world in righteousness. And this is the good news, bad news scenario. There's going to come a day it's been ordained by God. And he already knows what day it is. Just like he knew what day Jesus was going to be born and just like he knew what day he was going to be arrested and just like he knew what day he was going to be crucified and raised from the dead. He knows when he's coming back and he knows when he's going to judge all humanity. In Acts 17, verse 30, the verse reads this way. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. And he will judge it by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him, that man who is going to judge from the dead. 
Jesus is coming back and he's going to judge the world in righteousness. Now, if you can really grasp that, what he's saying is, if you're not righteous, you're going to be judged. You're going to be found out. Aren't you glad now you have the cloak of righteousness of Jesus Christ? So when he sees us, he doesn't see all of our sin. He doesn't see all this bad stuff. He sees what Jesus did on the cross. For unbelievers, unbelievers are going to be held accountable for breaking God's law and they're going to face condemnation. For a believer, we might be guilty, but we are never condemned. But for an unbeliever, there's going to be condemnation. And with that condemnation comes eternal separation in God from God in hell. Eternal separation from God. Now the good news. Believers are also going to be judged. But He's not going to judge us of our sin because He doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the blood of Jesus that was shed for you and me. So what is He judging us for? He's judging us for our works that we've done as believers so that we may receive a reward. So for believers, we're going to be held accountable for all the things that we've done, but the reward in heaven is going to be based on what we've done. Now, heaven's going to be so cool and so wonderful and so amazing that if my reward's only this big and you get a great big, 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 big one, I'm not even going to care. Matter of fact, I won't even realize you had a big one. Mine's going to seem so big and so cool. But there's this part of me that wants the biggest award reward there is. And I don't know what a reward in heaven could even look like. I have a, a pastor friend that a number of you know, Chuck Porta, for those that know him. He says, as near as he can figure out, and he's, he's kind of hoping here, but he says, he says, I think the reward in heaven is going to be the proximity to the throne of God. Boy, if he's right, I want a front row seat. God, we'll go to a concert and you'll spend big bucks to get in the front row. Our good works, if that would be our reward, whatever our reward is in heaven, if it's a reward from God, it's going to be good. We're going to be judged. So it's not about doing good works to get saved. Religion will tell you that. It's not about that. Getting saved is a gift of God. We receive it by faith in Jesus Christ and what He did. But our reward is determined by how we live our life here on earth, bringing Him glory and honor. If you're here today and you haven't understood what the heck I'm talking about, you might want to ask yourself this question. What if anything he said is right? What if I have not really made Jesus Christ my personal Lord and Savior and what Mike just said from the Word of God is right? Today's a good day to decide to make that decision by faith to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's really quite easy. But it needs to be very, very, very sincere. A lot of people make a simple prayer in an emotional moment, maybe when their life really stinks, and somebody says, hey, pray this prayer, you'll feel great. 
Now, that's not the kind of thing God's looking for. What He's looking for is something that in your heart, you acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you are condemned because of your sin. And there's nothing you can do about it. Doesn't matter how smart you are, how good you are, how talented you are, it doesn't matter. Because you'll never be good enough. What matters is you come to the realization that I'm not good enough. But Jesus loves me so much. He died. He took all my sin. He took all your sin. It's no wonder He was tormented on the cross. All of the sin of the world, past, present, and future, He became that for us. The physical torment must have been horrible. I can't imagine. But the emotional, spiritual torment was worse. He was temporarily separated from Father God because of our sin. And when I accept that reality and then say, Lord, because you love me so much, I surrender my life to you. I'm a mess. It's going to take some work on both of our parts. But I'm going to live for your glory. I accept the gift of salvation. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Help me to live the life that you have planned for me. I want to walk out my destiny. I think we all do. The last scripture I want to show you and read for you is in John chapter 11. For the, I am the resurrection and the life, is what Jesus said. Whoever believes in me, though he might die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then the verse ends with that little question. Do you believe this? Let's close in prayer. Lord, I so, so thank you for your grace and mercy and your love towards us. God, that you know our past and in spite of that you love us. You know the future and in spite of that you still love us. God, that you loved us so much you sent Jesus to die for us. God, I pray today that, that if there's anyone here who's never made that, that decision, that commitment, never acknowledged their need, never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, today would be the day. And Lord, I pray for those that might be here that have made that decision at one time in their past and they really meant it, but they've walked away from the destiny that you have for them and have kind of tried to take control of their own lives. God, you called them prodigals in the Bible. Lord, I pray you would just give grace to each one who that might be, that today would be the day they say, you know what, I'm, I'm starting back on the right track. I'm coming back. My way didn't work. Lord, I pray these things that you'd be glorified in us and through us and that we could be a testimony to the risen Lord through our lives. And Lord, I pray now over each one of us as we go our separate ways that you would bless us, that you would watch over us and keep us safe and protect us. God, that you would give us grace to be your hands and feet wherever we would go and that you would give us words to speak that would be speaking, we would speak words of life and hope and love to those that we come in contact with. And we ask this in your name and all God's people said, Amen.